0: Last week, I was talking a little bit about uh, things in our society today, and things in a society, and and saw some parallels between Romans chapter 1 and our society today in ways that uh, a society, people together, have wandered from God, Uh, have wandered from an awareness and a knowledge of the revelation of God and gone our own way. We saw that in Romans 1, and we saw that in Romans 1 in a, in a host of different ways, not merely one particular sin, but in a host of different ways we realize that our society, our culture, and the people around us are far from God. And In fact, if I were to, I, if I were to say it this way, the bad news is we live in Romans chapter 1. Today, we live in Romans chapter 1, and, and Romans chapter 1 is not, a, is not a happy place to live. In fact, Romans chapter 1 can, can be said to describe what a culture looks like, what a society looks like when uh, God has given them over, God has taken his hands off and given them over to the consequences of human sinfulness. Uh, in a sense, that protective hand of God is is pulled back. And it says in Romans 1 three times, God gave them over. It's not, a, it's not a happy place to live in Romans chapter 1. So the bad news is we're living in Romans chapter 1. But the good news is we're living in Romans chapter 1. That's where the first century church lived. Have you ever thought, man, real Christianity, what would it be like to live As believers in the New Testament live, what it would have been like to live in that first century when the gospel is making its inroads out into the world. Wow! Welcome to the first century. In many ways, our world is not so different today. In many ways, we have opportunity to to break ground, share the gospel, show and tell the gospel to people that haven't got a clue who this Jesus is that we're talking about. Our society, our, our world is in desperate need of the gospel. But how do we fruitfully, effectively share our faith with others? Do you sometimes feel like it doesn't matter? Do you sometimes feel like it doesn't really matter there's, there's no real effective fruitfulness there's no there's no outcome to what i tried to do so we withdraw we try to stay safe we keep our head down try not to take too many extra extra hits ourselves and yet easily withdraw because it doesn't seem like we can make any difference it doesn't seem like anybody cares it doesn't seem like what i do matters it seems like whatever i do is in vain even though Scripture tells us it's not, First Corinthians tells us that our labor is not in vain. The Lord Jesus has really risen, and, and it's not merely a matter of what I can do. The risen Lord is about His ministry. He's chosen to use us. Our labor is not in vain. It's not for nothing. And yet, there's another passage in Scripture where, where I want us to turn, to turn today, and it's in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in fact, and uh, you'll find that if you're using a pew Bible on about page 986, I think. But uh, uh, page 986, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this is a chapter that starts out very specifically. Paul says, you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. What was it about Paul's coming to Thessalonica? I want us to step back in. If I said, well, we're living in the first century, then I want us to step back into that first, that, th- that, that uh, visit of Paul to a little town called Thessalonica, it's still a Greek city today, historical place. And when Paul first came there, he said "Is coming to them. and is sharing the gospel to them. It made a difference. In fact, it made a tremendous difference as he describes that in, in uh, the, the growing of their faith and the genuineness and the reality of the faith of the people that heard and believed in Jesus from his witness among them. What was it that made that happen? What was it that made his ministry there not in vain? So let me just read the first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our gospel to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity of any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God, who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. But we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, our own lives, because you had become dear to us. But you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil, how we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. If you were Following along in the reading, listening or watching, something you probably picked up on, you said, aha, now I know why he's speaking on this text this morning. Partly because it sort of flows out of our, uh, our words last week, but partly because there's some family imagery in this passage, isn't there? There's that sweet little comparison, that metaphor there in the middle about we were gentle among you like a nursing mother caring for your own children. And that's that's an image that that packs some punch. That's an image that 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 takes our heart some weather. Whether whether you think of that as your own experience or not, and a lot of times family is not what it's supposed to be. Whether that was something you, 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 you longed for, something you, you experienced and, and, and um, prospered under, still you know there's something about that as it ought to be. And that's an image that Paul uses, not only of a mother, but he also mentions a father. A father with his children, exhorting and encouraging and charging. This is a family a family metaphor. There's a family image. The, the, the thing Paul is saying about a church and about ministry in a church and from a church is to be family. To be family. It's a family business to raise and grow the family as a reflection of our Father. And so we together commit as a church to these who have said we want to raise our children in a church family, to know and to grow in the Lord. And, and it's, it's, it's more than just us that, that God has called His people into a church family, an extended family that He calls the household of God. A local church is called a household or family, a large extended family of God in any particular place and location. And we're to be family together. There's a lot of family metaphors there. Now, the word in your Bible might be brothers or brethren, and I read that as brothers and sisters because that word, although it's masculine, it includes both in Greek usage. And so you should understand that. Ladies, you're not left out of that, of that verse when it says brothers or brethren. You never thought of yourselves as brethren before, but you can feel free to so do, in this case at least. Brothers and sisters, it mentions mothers, it mentions fathers, uh, that kind of strong family imagery. Family metaphors, not only that, but in family together, family's hard work, isn't it? How many would say, yeah, yeah, family can be hard work. It can be. There's that laboring day and night. Paul describes his holy, righteous, and blameless conduct in verse 10, to show them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul didn't, did, didn't tell them merely. He, he said, I showed you by my own life. I showed you by my own conduct what it looks like to walk with God. And so a, 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 a parent is very careful about how they walk and the things that they demonstrate in life because so much of life and the real things of life are caught rather than taught. And if there's any difference between what you say and what you do, we want to say, do what I say, not what I do, but that doesn't stick. Uh, Non-verbals are much more powerful, much more believable, much more authentic than than verbals. So if there's a difference between what I say and what I do, they're going to follow what you do. And a lot of times, generations have been upset, turned upside down because it was evident that parents or authority... People in their lives said one thing, but did another. Uh, If you want your children to be devoted to the Lord, to grow up that way, the, the first words I could tell you is to be devoted to the Lord and grow up that way. You cannot guarantee what any child born in Adam will do, but the best environment and the best grounding and foundation that you can give them for that is to show them what it looks like, and let that overflow out of your life to them. And hard work, night and day, conduct, showing and telling. Parenting takes commitment. I I I heard just last week. I know I know this is Mother's Day, so I'm going to tell a father's story. Is that okay? Yeah. I just heard last week. Dads can get get kind of overlooked on Mother's Day. So I I, I hear you guys. I'm I'm with you this morning. They, he, he was describing a situation uh, when, when, uh, when his kids were younger. He was a single dad. He was working all day, and yet he describes a situation at school. They were having a meeting. They were talking about the curriculum, and he stood up, and he said something about this curriculum, about these changes. He stood up, and in the meeting he said, I knew what I was going to say was going to be unpopular with some of the others, but I had to say it anyway. And what impressed me most was not that he stood up and said what he said. What impressed me most is here's a single dad, Raising teens, working full-time, long hours, and yet he's got time. His kids are in that school. He's got time to be at a school meeting to find out what's going on there. I said, wow. Well, inside, I didn't say it like, wow, right out, right out in the midst of the conversation. But, but that said something to me. That's what it takes. Working day and night, parenting, for, and fruitful ministry occurs in a context of commitment. It occurs in, 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 in hard times. It takes commitment. One of the reasons we talk, about, we talk about membership here at the church, and membership in a church is really, it's, it's commitment. The first time Julie and I ever joined a church, and we were saved in, a, in an environment and in a church family that didn't really do much with church membership. You'll find in the information stand in the foyer, there's a little card that says, Why Church Membership? And it's and it's not about voter registration, folks. That's not why I encourage any of you any of you to become a member of the church. But the, when when my wife and I first joined a local church as official members, it was because that church was actually going through some difficulties. There was some there was there was a leadership transition. There were some uncertainties, and we felt we needed to stand up and say. We believe in this ministry. We're committed to it. We're going to be here, and we're going to be one of those that helps continue to, to uh, walk, walk forward with this ministry. So there's a joining together with others, a commitment together as family together that, that uh, we are, we're going to stick it out for one another. There's a commitment there. Like parenting, Paul's fruitful ministry, if you saw this in the, in the, in the reading, occurs in the midst of hard times, didn't it? He said we were shamefully mistreated and abused in philippi before we came to you remember the story there that he that that they were beaten without being guilty of anything they were beaten as common criminals without any rights when it turned out that paul was a roman citizen they found out later they threw him in jail for no cause left them there bound in the stocks and and only the next day did they find out oh my we've made a big mistake They were shamefully treated. And then when they came to Thessalonica, after about three weeks of of teaching and proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue where people who believed the Old Testament, who wanted to hear from God's Word, were gathered, after about three weeks of that, and everybody was coming to hear Paul, the local leaders got a little jealous, and they stirred up a mob. They stirred up a riot. Imagine the riots, like we, we saw recently in Baltimore or in Ferguson. Imagine if those riots were stirred up by people against Christians, or against some churches. That's what the first century looked like. And that's what it will look like sometimes in our future. I'm pretty convinced. We, we have, we, we are no longer, as, as, as Bible-believing Christians, we are no longer the center of the culture. We, we are on the margins, and there are going to be times when standing for our faith will, will occur in the midst of difficult times. But a, a a stand for the gospel, a, a a holding firm in our faith, and how we're going to serve our Lord in the midst when opposition does come against us, only strengthens the witness and will only only testify all the clearer to those around us who need to hear. I think there are not dismal times. I think there are, are exciting times for the church ahead. I'm I'm warning people in terms of going into ministry. It's it's you know it's not going to be. The same as it's been. Our our culture is changing. This environment is changing. And yet I I believe there are wonderfully spiritual, vibrant times ahead for the church. But in the context of suffering, don't cave under the pressure. Don't don't seek to to merely please, it says in verse 5, to to flatter others so that they'll feel good about you and they'll say nice things back about you, To, to seek to gain praise from others. Parents don't do it that way. You see the analogy? Sometimes they do, don't they? Sometimes a parent simply wants to be their their kids friend, right? Well, that's dangerous. Your your kids don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be their parent. They need you to be somebody who is further along in life, who can guide them, who can show them where the, where the trail is and where the boundaries are, and, and don't go there. Don't make the mistakes. You don't have to make every mistake on experience that I've made. Let me warn you of some of those. Have the benefit of going through life having stood on my shoulders, and you'll see farther, and you'll do better. And I want my kids. I want our four to benefit from my mistakes, not to repeat them, but to be able to go farther as a result of it. To see the Lord maybe earlier and more closer than I did because they've benefited rather than repeated. They, they, they need me to be before them, but especially when they were, when they were young, they didn't need to be me to be their buddy as much as they needed me to be their dad. Parents need Need to keep that in mind for their kids. Okay, so we are family together. We need to be family together. We need to look around a little more wider than ourselves and say, who am I family for? Where do I fit in relation to this family and who else am I nurturing and encouraging? We said we're going to stick with these families. Well, what confidence do they have to believe that we're going to stick with those families if we're not sticking to the rest of the families out here? We need to be involved in the lives of one another. And that happens one conversation, one encouraging word at a time in the midst of the body. Okay, being family together, we need to keep the family focused. One of the other things you may have heard as I read through that is over and over and over again, this theme of the gospel kept coming up. It was about the gospel, it was in the gospel, it was about the gospel. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 8 and 9 let me speak briefly to being family-centered versus being gospel-centered. There was a time in the evangelical church in our, in our recent history, in recent decades, where there was a big emphasis on family in the church. So the church was a lot about families. Church was for families and doing things for families, providing programs for families, and providing activities for families, and church was all about helping families be good families. The church became, in many ways, a source of helpful, pragmatic advice for families. Well, that's all good and well, but it wasn't so much about worship as families. Church is especially about worship. Church is especially about Christ. And the best foundation there can be for family is not what works. Give me the five things that I should do and the the principles that I should follow. And if I do these things, we'll have a better family together. What we need to do is press toward Christ together. And as as our focus is worshiping Christ, not merely in, in corporate worship services, but the things that I do in life as worship to Christ, as that's my focus. As we are pressing closer to Christ, together we will be closer together. You know, a lot of what we talk about in terms, of, in terms of practical Christianity is concerned about the things that we shouldn't do, the things we should stay away from. We talk about accountability to one another in terms of a boundary. And, and let's know where the boundary is. Let's keep each other away from the boundary. Watch out for that. Don't do, oh, Careful about this. And for a while, in that same era of good family and good husbands and, and so forth, we talked a lot about accountability in a sense of the things you need to be careful not to do and check in with somebody about not doing. Instead of being worried about the perimeter and about the boundaries, we need to be focused on the center. And you know, if we're focused on the center, if we're gospel-centered, then we will find ourselves closer together. We'll find ourselves far from the boundary because we're pressing to the center. Keep the family focused together. This passage portrays a gospel-centered family. This passage portrays doing that and keeping the family focused together by speaking in a variety of ways. I mentioned before the gospel is both show and tell. Some of the words that we, we saw, there was a, the, the word in verse 6, demand. A father, in verse 12, exhorts. A mother is gentle among you, verse 7. And in verse 12, there's that encouragement or that exhortation. Uh, Verse 14, the word charged, charged or commanded to provoke. There's a whole range there from rebuking and correcting to accepting to encouraging to even provoking or commanding. There's a whole range of different words that are used in the midst of our interaction together in family. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, The Word of God is given for our reproof, for our correction, for our training in righteousness. Ephesians 6.4, a verse I alluded to earlier with the the families, talks about nurturing training and the warning admonition of the Lord. Two, Two different ends. There's warning, admonition, and there's nurturing. There's training and instruction. What's true for family is also true as we relate to people around us. I begin talking about how do we relate. I want my our ministry from here to be fruitful, you say. I want when I go to work or back back to back to friends and neighbors, how can I be fruitful? How can my contact among them not be for nothing, not be in vain? And I think that includes the range that Paul talks about here. I read a book recently by Andy Crouch. It's called Culture Making. And in that, he talks about the ways that we relate to culture. He, he, he talks about a, a spectrum from condemn, critique, copy, we consume culture. Oh, interesting little side story. Yeah, i got time for a side story. Uh, he talks about, okay, you, you, we, we often condemn things going on in culture. Christians do. We, we look out there, we see what's going on, and say, that's wrong. Or we might critique the culture. From the edge of it, we will look in there and we'll say, that shouldn't be like that, that shouldn't be like that. And We're not really happy about that. I wish it was this way instead. Uh, We might uh, copy culture. I don't want to be out in the culture, so what will we do? Well, we'll come up with an alternative to the culture that's a lot like the culture, except it's different. Example, Christian contemporary music. We didn't like the music out there, so we took the same kind of genre of music and we adjusted it a bit, and we came up with lyrics that point toward the cross that, 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 that speak of Jesus instead. And so we have an alternative music. This is the music we sing, that's the music they sing. All of those, however, do one thing. There's, there's still distance between us and them. The next step is to consume the culture. Something, I don't know if you remember, years ago, the movie The Da Vinci Code came out. And it was an awful movie. It, in a lot of ways, it, it basically, it told just flat-out lies concerning the Bible, and it put it in this whole kind of a code thing that if you knew the inner secrets, well, it really was like this when it's not. But, and, and it was the kind of movie that sometimes you go to a movie, you want to be aware of the conversation out in the culture, and yet you, wanna be, you don't, you don't want to be misled by it, but you want to be aware of what people are hearing. But this didn't seem to like even be the kind of movie you could even start a discussion from. And, and well, what do we do? We're not going to go to that movie. Christians, were not going to go to that movie. That was one of the big responses going on at the time. Well, somebody realized that, you know, when Christians just boycott the culture, they have very little influence, because what influences what movies are made are the people who buy tickets. Well, I don't want to buy a ticket to the Vinci Goat. How's that going to help? Well, buy a different ticket was the idea. It was a boycott instead of a boycott. It was a really clever idea. And it so happened that same weekend when Da Vinci Code was opening, there was this other cute little movie called Over the Hedge. How many have seen Over the Hedge? Oh, it's a cute little movie about a, a degenerate raccoon, I think, in the midst of it or something. But anyway, it's a cute little movie. Yeah, you all liked it. But, but the idea was, let, go see that movie instead, and all the tickets that are sold to that movie are tickets that aren't sold to Da Vinci Code, and when those that care, they, they monitor consumers of movies more than they care about the people that don't go to movies. And so that sent a very different message to the producers of movies or the kind of movies that they could produce and that could be viewed in the public. It was an interesting effect on how do we have any impact on the culture. All right. Well, I told you all that to tell you this. There are different gestures that we use in relating to our culture, and even within our own families. I'm going to start with families because you relate to this as families. Then I want you to think about how does that relate out in culture. In families, as parents, Think, put your parenting hat on for a moment here. Remembering your parents or thinking as a parent. And there are some things that you're against. There are some things that you allow there are some things that you accept, there are some things that you affirm, there are some things that you would advocate or you would advance. So I'll give you an example of that in just a moment in, in a recent news story, but, but there's a whole continuum there, right? There's different responses, and we saw those different words being used earlier. The, there's a rebuke, there's correction, there's encouragement, there's provoking. That's that whole continuum from being against, allowing, accepting, affirming, and advocating. Those are different. Think of them as gestures you use at different times and different scenarios. Let me give you an example. In the news, just recently, out of Baltimore, everybody has heard of this woman now. She found her son out on the streets in the midst of the riots. And you responded to that in a lot of different ways. But that image or that video is only one part of the family story. That's only one gesture in one incident. And I don't even want to get into the discussion, was that the right gesture at the moment or not? Here's another image of the family that isn't nearly as, as commonly seen because, well, it's not nearly as fun as watching a mom beat up her kid on the street when he's, when he's about to join into a riot, right? That's a whole lot, that makes, that makes it on YouTube. But there's a a sweet family together, and a mom who didn't want her son, whom she loves and cherishes, to be the next young black guy that gets gunned down in the streets because he's rioting, right? She cared about her son, and so she cared enough to get involved when she saw him in a place that she didn't want him to be. But the point is, there's different gestures at different times, okay? Now let's think about that in terms of culture. Go ahead and put that whole continuum. When you think about these, I don't want to think in terms of just negative gestures and positive gestures because there are things that we should be against as well as there are things that we should be for. The trouble comes when we're only known. Some churches are only known for the things they're against. We need to be known for the things that we're against and the things that we're for. There are different gestures appropriate in different situations and circumstances and different issues. There are some things that we should be against. There are some things that we should allow. Some things that we might allow in the sense of tolerate. Let me give you a single example of that. I I described to you last week, as a a Bible-believing Christian, understanding that God made us and we're accountable to Him, that I am against same-sex marriage in our culture. I think that violates the creation mandate that goes further back than the law of Moses. And, and, and so that is something I'm against. I may not control what the, what the culture and society end up doing, but that's something I'm going to be against because of what I understand from God's Word. That should, marriage should not be redefined that way as I understand marriage as God gave it to us. God gave it marriage, and He gave it in a particular form. Okay, so that, 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 that's something that I'm against. Something that I will allow. I will allow... The free practice in our society of Islam or Mormonism. Oh, wait a minute. You allow people to believe in in Islam, that's a rejection of Jesus, and they, they, they won't be saved. That's right. But I cannot have, there's no room for the free trust in Christ. The freedom to believe in Jesus freely and genuinely, if there's not also the freedom to not believe, or to believe in whatever a person is going to believe in. So we have, we have, as Christians, always tolerated, always allowed freedom of religion of any kind. The freedom of faith, which also allows for the freedom to genuinely believe in Jesus for oneself. Something I will allow in culture. Something I would accept. Friendship with someone who doesn't share your faith. Now, now, now there might be limits in how close that can be how close that relationship can be because of something that is very important that you don't share in common. And yet there are many things with that person in that relationship that I do accept and embrace. I accept them still. Affirm. There are things within the culture that we affirm. For instance, um, a good example of this. Oh, something I accept. I accept multi-party democracy. Do I think multi-party democracy is the best form of government that there is? No. I think the best form of government is a king. Does that concern you? Uh, not if you got the right king, you see. As long as we've got the right king, the king, the king of kings, the lord of lords king, as long as we have that king, that's the best form of government, and that's the way God's going to do it. But in the midst of our fallen humanity, multi-party de- democracy that ties one another up in knots and keeps us from accomplishing too much together is actually a good thing. We're not building any towers of Babel, Hopefully. Okay, so there, there, I, I accept multi-party democracy in that sense. I do think it is a good thing for our culture, although I don't think it's God's ultimate best form of government. All right, let's see, where was I at now? I was on to things we affirm. How about justice and equality under the law? I want justice out there. Whether there's a Christian involved or not, I want every person to have justice and equality under the law. That's something that I affirm within our culture and stand for something I advocate or advance, I'm going to advocate. I'm going to try to advance faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the thing about these gestures is, do you remember ever hearing your mom say, or hearing somebody's mom would say, maybe just in sense of a a cultural story, you better quit making that face. If you keep making that face, your face is going to freeze like that. Dare I say it, some of your faces have frozen like that. It's a little weird, doesn't it? I mean, if you walked around all the time with a Calvin face, right? And you always look like that. You're looking at this culture like this is weird. And you always look like it's weird. That's weird, right? The problem with gestures is gestures cannot become posture. Posture. Because the right gesture in this circumstance and situation is not appropriate over here. It calls for a different gesture. And when gesture becomes our posture so that we are normally against, rather than for, anything, our gesture has become our posture, and we are now not helpful in the midst of the culture, we're weird. Whether it's in family, whether it's in culture, there is a range of, range of gestures the um, against, allow, accept, affirm, advocate is rebuke, correct, accept, encourage, provoke. There are things we need to provoke. A, there are things we need to encourage one another. We come to church together to encourage one another and to provoke one another to love and good deeds. We, we also would warn one another. Do I care enough to warn my brother and sister. And yet, if I'm the negative Nelly that every time you come near me, I'm going... You see, I have, actually. This is a strong pastoral trait, by the way. I have the gift of criticism. If you ask me to evaluate something, I will find whatever it is that's coming up a little bit short. I'm good at that. I really am. It's a real strength in pastoral ministry. People love coming to me and finding out what doesn't quite measure up. I get a lot of phone calls for that. You don't believe it, do you? No, I don't either. I just wish it was. So that can be helpful refining and critiquing and improving things. But if I stick with that strength, I'm going to hurt people. And often I'm not going to help people. I'm not going to encourage people. If I'm more focused in seeing what's wrong rather than catching people and doing something right and encouraging and strengthening that, then then I'm going to miss fruitfulness as a pastor. We, we, we need to be careful in which of these gestures we use and when and that certain gestures do not become our posture. So you can scowl at me from time to time. I get that on Sunday mornings and I appreciate that. Thank you. But be careful that your face doesn't freeze like that to the people around you. You don't want your face to freeze like that to the people around you because then it's just going to be weird. Now I want you to think of someone in your church family. Spiritual family circles. I've got in your in your notes there. I've got a an example of um. I've got an example of the those 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 five A's as I gave you: against, allow, accept, affirm, advocate. And I want you to think about those and just jot down really quick. So concerning somebody in against or in affirm or a a prov, a uh, advance or advocate, try to think through a different scenario. Something you might be against in a brother or sister. That you might have to, if you care about them, have the guts to tell them. Speak to them about that. It might take the right relationship. But what would that, what kind of thing might that be? What might you allow? What might you affirm? What might you advance? Seek to advocate, press them towards, provoke in their lives. Just think about that for a minute. Right right there where you're at. Even jot it down. if we want to really have some fun, kind of meddle a little bit. I'd like you to do the same exercise, but for you. What is it that I ought to be against in me in my walk with the Lord as I know it? What is it that I I can allow that? It's okay. It might not be terribly helpful, but it's not hurtful either. What would I affirm in me What would I advance all the more? What should I provoke myself to? See, there's a range in gestures. We can actually become either all too positive or probably more likely all too negative about ourselves in relation to our walk with the Lord. There's one more thing I want you to do, and that's, that's you've got, a, you've got a, a Revolution Student Center insert, and I am going to give you a couple of minutes to actually fill this out because we're going to receive the offering in a moment, and I'm going to ask you to put that in. We, out, we want genuine feedback concerning this. Our church has a ministry together, and one of the ways that we connect into culture, we connect into a particular subculture at Prairie High School is by hosting a student center after school. And it's something that we need. We need people from the church to participate in. If we're going, we're not going to open the building and let the students run run through there on their own. We're going to be there if we can host them. We're going to be there if we can have interaction with them and the opportunity to relate and make some connection. We want to um, change. We want to provide a different stereotype. For them, many of them, it's their first contact other with any kind of church, not to mention a Baptist church. And we want that to be a positive and uh, a a surprising opportunity that we just come over there and they just let us hang out. And man, they even order pizza some days. And they just, they're nice and they talk to us and they're friendly and, you know, they don't make fun of me or just, uh, well, not much. So, one, two, there's, there, 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 there's some information we need just about as, as we're considering changes for next year, and we know that not everybody can participate in this ministry. This is not a, a thing to make you feel bad if you think, that, well, I couldn't, so. but as we consider some changes, if there's some changes we could make that would open the door more for some of our people to participate, that's good information that we need. So i would like you to, to take a look at this and fill out that bottom half as we consider some changes. Would a time change make it more possible? Would uh, having some training orientations... They, I'd be willing to do that, but I haven't got a clue. High schoolers scare me. I don't know what I, how I would do that. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's weird. So how can I keep from having just that one gesture become my posture towards them? Uh, so just um, mark those boxes. If, if you say, yeah, one of those days, I actually am, am interested in serving, then you can put your name in the bottom and how to contact you. Otherwise, you don't have to put your name, but just the more of these we get back with information no actually the time change wouldn't help because i'm just not available at all afternoons that's something that's helpful for us to know so uh, if you would if you would do that then have that ready for the offering as we go here in just a few minutes as as um as we remember this about family the same exercise doing that thinking for myself what would i affirm in me in my walk with the lord what what is good what's what needs to be confronted what, what have I allowed that I actually ought to be against, maybe? But remember this. In the core of this family chapter about church as family, the center of it, I said, was the gospel. And if the center is the gospel, it's about not earning our way. With the Lord, we are accepted in Christ. God loves you not because of anything that you do, Anything that you're pressing toward, God loves you because you are His. God loves you because He made you, and so He sent Christ for you. God, the perfect Father, never lets go of His children. You have come to Him by trust in Christ. So in God's family, we care enough. If God doesn't let go of us, we care enough not to let go of one another. That's why we want to be involved in the lives of one another. That's why we want to be involved in own family. That's why we have to be involved in our family together. And if you're, if you're wondering, well, what would that look like? How could I get more involved in family? That Rev Center is one opportunity, but, but um, use that communication card and say, I'd just like to know more about how I could fit. If you have any ideas about the direction that might look like, jot those down. But I'd love to talk with you. We want to be family together. We want to be the, God's family in ways that glorify Him here and out there. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that your word reminds us that as a church we're family. And whether it's as parents that we have a range of gestures. And Lord, today would you, would you remind us, Lord, to both appreciate the, the range of gestures of our parents, to, to accept their correction, as well as to be grateful for their embrace. Father, would you also help those of us who are parents to not only correct, but also embrace, also affirm, to also, Lord, seek to advance and to provoke those that you've given into our care. And Father, would you help us as a whole church to do that together? Would you help us to be involved not merely in our own families, But, Father, would you help us to be involved, committed to your family for your glory and for your likeness in each one. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our ushers come forward to receive our offering this morning, uh, pray with me really quick before we continue in worship. Father God, we thank you for how you have blessed us as a family, Lord that we are one body and one church under Christ. And, Father, as, as you have blessed us, would we so bless one another? Would we give of ourselves, give of our material things that you have so blessed us with, Lord? And would we be able to honor you with all of our lives, Lord? In Jesus' name, Amen.